0: You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 220 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. I'm in the living room, actually, not recording what I normally record um, on the portable device here and uh, it's because I'm babysitting my uh, daughter because um, uh, she can't be left alone for one second Right now she is opening something Stop! Put that down! Put that down! Thank you! Come! Come! Sit here, sit here! Uh, anyway it's the last Sunday of the month, folks, and time for a pre-recorded talk. And this time we got to listen to Jeremy Narby again. We heard him a few weeks ago, and I think we need uh, to hear more. I need more, god damn it. And this talk we're going to listen to took place at the 2005 National Bionnaires Conference. Enjoy,
1: right? Yeah, and Enjoy! How do you actually wrap your mind around the fact that inside your own body you have 120 billion miles of this snake-like information language stuff? Well, that's an, it's outrageous. It's, it's mythological. It's, uh, it's too much to conceive. You, uh, it helps to have metaphoric images to, 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 to wrap your mind around it. I could see that uh, by bringing together science and shamanism, when I looked at the world with those two camera angles, um, I could see um, nature in a new light, and um, it was the light of intelligence in nature. This is a concept that shamans have long proposed, but that uh, scientists were starting to confirm with their uh, recent studies of even the, the simplest organisms. How are you doing? It's a privilege to get up here on this stage after all those dazzling speakers, and it's a joy to be back at Bioneers. So I'll tell you what I think I know. <laughs> a long time ago, uh, I spent a couple of years living with Ashaninka people in the Peruvian Amazon. And these are people who know a lot about plants and animals. In fact, they have a name in their language for just about every species living in the forest. But they spoke of plants and animals in a way that I found unusual, as intelligent beings with personalities and intentions, and who had kinship with humans. They even called some species ashaminka, which was their word for themselves, meaning our people, or our relatives. So white herons were Ashaninka. Uh, manioc plants were our sisters, uh, small birds were our many brothers, uh, armadillos were brothers-in-law, the the Ashanika tended to personify other species and to relate to them through kinship. Well, it turned out this view was fairly common among Amazonian people, but it took me uh, a long time to come to grips with it. I began working as an activist and fundraiser for indigenous initiatives in the Amazon. And as an independent anthropologist, I also tried to make sense of the Amazonian point of view. Uh, And so this led me some 25 years ago to start looking into domains like biology, botany, and neurology. And at the time, it was already clear that biology confirms human kinship with other species and that all living beings are genetically related. And scientists were starting to document intelligent behavior in all kinds of living organisms. The more science looked at the intricacies of the natural world, the more intelligence it seemed to find. So this encouraged me to look into intelligence in nature, a subject that concerned both science and indigenous knowledge. So in the early 2000s, I interviewed scientists in different countries who were working on this subject, only to find that there was a basic problem with words. So when a Japanese scientist demonstrated that a single-celled slime mold could solve a maze, Western commentators objected to his using the word intelligence to describe the slimes' behavior. The problem was that Western thinkers tended to consider intelligence as a human exclusivity and had defined it over the centuries in many different ways, most of which were in exclusively human terms, making it difficult for other species to qualify especially single cells of slime. So the word intelligence was human-centered, but so was the word nature. The dictionary defines nature as the phenomena of the physical world, including plants, animals, and the landscape, as opposed to humans and human creations. The word nature means everything that is not human. And anthropologists have pointed out that this is a concept specific to Western cultures. If you go to the Amazon, for example, and ask people there about their word for nature, for everything that is not human, they say they have no such concept. And on the contrary, they tend to view most other species as People like us. Uh. (laughs) Um. Meanwhile, modern Western thinkers have tended to put human beings in a category of their own above all other species, arguing, for example, that animals are incapable of thinking because they lack language. But recent scientific research has just proved the contrary and that even small invertebrates like bees think and handle abstract concepts. And numerous other species have systems of communication, some of which are close to human language. Take prairie dogs. They have a sophisticated form of verbal communication involving high-pitched chirps that they use to describe the world around them. They can describe intruders according to species, size, shape, speed, and color. A prairie dog may chirp. Here comes a small, thin human wearing blue, moving slowly. Or uh, here comes a tall, yellow coyote moving fast. Prairie dogs have brains the size of grapes, but they chirp away all day long and scientists have just begun to understand them. Now there's strong evidence that numerous species think, feel, remember, and plan, and have language-like abilities and systems of communication. And this has led some Western thinkers to move away from constantly affirming the centrality of human beings. But here I'd like to mention a new concept that would keep humans at center stage. The Anthropocene, the supposedly new geological era, ushered in by human impacts on the biosphere The word comes from the Greek anthropos, human being, and kainos, new, and roughly means the age of humans. It's not an official scientific concept yet, but it seeks to draw attention to human activities like driving species out of existence, poisoning ecosystems, deforestation, warming the climate, and leaving radioactive contamination and garbage all over the place. But naming today's geological age after humanity hides the importance of other species like bacteria and plants in the functioning of the biosphere. It also dilutes responsibility for ecological damage among humans. Indigenous people who oppose uh, oil extraction in the rainforest are surely less responsible for degrading the biosphere than most people living in industrialized societies. Uh, Thank you. The the problem is not humanity in general, but certain humans in particular. (laughs) Thanks. And naming today's geological age after our species has narcissistic overtones. if only because no previous geological age bears the name of a single species. So instead of affirming the centrality of humans for the umpteenth time, it would be interesting to move beyond the anthropocentered frame that has enclosed Western minds for centuries and build a new, less destructive relationship with the other species living on this planet. (sighs) You you don't have to clap, but... um, The uh, human-centered concepts of Western cultures have disparaged the other species of this world for so long that most existing legal systems consider plants and animals like objects. The only subjects being humans, of course. But this is starting to change. In divorce cases, some judges are starting to consider the family dog as uh, a member of the family, rather than as a possession. If the dog is a possession, the answer to the question, who gets the dog, is the person who paid for it. But if the dog is like a person or a child, the question becomes, what is in the best interests of this person? So dogs are starting to get a paw in the door of <laughs> personhood uh, in some places. but. Person is one of those human-centered words. Its first definition is uh, a human being regarded as an individual, and this is one of the reasons why critics argue that attributing personhood to other species doesn't make sense. So it seems that it will be difficult for other species to be granted personhood, Yet at the same time, it's increasingly clear that considering them as mere objects is inexact. And here I'd like to point out that considering other species as persons is the uh, definition that anthropologists currently give of animism. And when Amazonian people and other animists say that they consider a plant or an animal as a person, I take them to mean that there's someone home, Uh, a self rather than a thing, a sentient being with its own point of view. And even plants qualify. Now, scientists have demonstrated that plants perceive the world in their own way, a plant may not have eyes, but it perceives light through photoreceptor proteins that cover its entire body and that are nearly identical to the ones inside our own retinas. It's as if the plant had tiny eyes all over its body. A plant knows if you're standing next to it and if you're dressed in red or blue. Plants learn and remember. They make decisions, and they make plans. Even a blade of grass perceives the world around it, uh, makes decisions and acts on them. And this has led some philosophers to start granting personhood to plants and other philosophers to disagree fundamentally and here I think indigenous people can help philosophers think things through. Regardless of whether sisters, manioc, and brother-in-law armadillo are bona fide persons or not, at the end of the day, you still have to eat something or, or rather somebody. <laughs> and the animist take on this question seems to be that Eating other species means uh, knowing them, identifying with them, and trying to see the world from their perspective. Among Amazonian people, the shortcut to uh, seeing the perspective of other species is to ingest plant teachers. These are plants like tobacco and ayahuasca and they tend to teach that other species have their points of view, which humans gain from taking into consideration. In this view, plant-induced trances give other species the opportunity to voice their complaints and demands, which humans can then take into consideration or else risk retribution. But working with plant teachers is tricky business, as we'll be discussing this afternoon. In animist societies, uh, considering other species like persons often means treating them like relatives or allies. In the Ashaninka case, beneficent plants like manioc, uh, corn, or peach palm, are called brothers or sisters because they are so good and generous. Whereas species that are hunted are treated with more distance, like brothers-in-law. And plants like ayahuasca and tobacco are considered like powerful and therefore potentially dangerous allies. But in all cases, using plants and animals involves recognizing the relationship one has with them. It turns out that Ashaninka people integrate into their kinship system not only plants and animals but also visiting anthropologists. So I can give you an example of this kind of creative kinship based on personal experience. Uh, Back in the day, I was living in an Ashaninka community. Men would introduce themselves to me and uh, say, so how should we treat each other, as brothers or (laughs) (laughs) brothers-in-law? And I'd say, well, I don't know. Uh, I'd say, well, brothers if we want to be close and share things, and brothers-in-law if we want to be more distant, like trading partners. So I ended up with a couple of brothers and a whole slew of brothers-in-law. But uh, the point is that this kind of kinship can be practiced uh, creatively on an individual basis and in real time. Last but not least, the Ashaninka considered some species as harmful, in which case they referred to them as having once been human, atsiri, but not as Ashaninka, our relatives. So poisonous snakes were not even (laughs) brothers-in-law. Which is not to say the contrary, of course. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, people who want to move away from the anthropocentered scene that Western cultures have upheld for centuries can start by moving away from treating plants and animals like objects. And humans, too, for that matter. Thank you. Human kinship with other species is real and confirmed by science, but after centuries of treating other species like objects and refusing to have relations with them. People in Western culture will need time to think this through. And here, animist societies uh, provide a, a template. They may treat other species like relatives, but just like with relatives, some are close, others are more distant, some are beneficent, others are problematic. The nature of the relationship depends on both parties, and prudence and flexibility is required. That's how you treat your in-laws, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't mean to say that people who speak in Western tongues should become animists, but rather that we can learn from animist cultures. Animists use kinship categories to think about other species, but in a Western context, other concepts like friend, neighbor, doctor, colleague may be more appropriate. People will need to think about this creatively and according to their own convictions. I initially thought I'd end this talk with a consideration of respectful living in the biosphere, but, Now I think that uh, responsible is a better word than respectful, because it's more concrete. It it comes from the verb to respond. Uh, I think that living responsibly means living in a way that responds to the situation we're in and to what we now know. I think that Responsible living in the biosphere means learning to see other species as beings like us, in that they have intentions, make decisions, uh, and they know what they're doing. They have points of view. I think that responsible living in the biosphere means learning to take the interests of other species into consideration and allowing them room to live. And I think it means learning to relate to them and to think through the kinship we have with them. So uh, now to get started, I call birds amigos. (laughs) I consider some mushrooms as my friends. (laughs) And and I think of the uh, blades of grass as sisters as I mow the lawn. <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Jeremy. A very nice talk. I love your style of delivery. You could almost be a deadpan stand-up comic. Anyway, you gave some examples of intelligence in nature, but can you expand on that and on intelligence in general?
1: There's a, a parasitic plant called um, daughter, and um, it moves around and lives off other plants. It doesn't uh, give off um, roots or, or anything. Um, and uh, the way it does this is it wraps around um, plants and then sends feelers into the plants and gauges uh, their nutritional quality. And it's immediately faced with the, should I stay or should I go? And, um, well, botanists have discovered that uh, daughter uh, makes correct decisions. um, And this can be measured by studying just what is the nutritional uh, quality of the plants that it's uh, parasiting. Um, And that its uh, foraging strategies have the same mathematical correctness as those of animal foragers. But daughter does this without a brain. So somehow within this vegetal organism, there's a way of uh, going into the world, extracting information, and then um, reaching somehow a decision that is then enacted at the level of the whole organism. Well, this is what you and I do on a daily basis. And we happen to have brains uh, inside our skulls where our computations are somewhat accelerated and, and souped up. I mean, clearly having a brain helps to uh, accelerate decision making. But um, you can reach correct decisions without a brain. That's the good news. Then there is the fact that um, we with our big brains still do not very under, understand very much about our big brains. Um, just what goes on inside our skulls um, while the three pounds of gelatinous matter Um, containing all these neurons uh, does its uh, thing is not known. How human intelligence and decision-making functions is a a very mysterious thing. The whole question of consciousness, when you open your eyes and see a a film-like image, somehow this three-dimensional color image is being generated inside your skull by this mysterious gelatinous matter that's your brain, you know. If you think about it, you take a three-pound um, bunch of Jello, and somehow imagine that in there there is a a film that seems like it's outside. Um, you know, this is the mystery of consciousness, and it is not known how the Jello generates the film. Um, so, uh, and you know, clearly there are creatures very similar to us, like uh, chimpanzees, and they also have skulls like we do, containing brains like our own, and clearly they also see films like we do. It's, there's not just human uh, jelly that generates uh, the film. Uh, whether brainless animals, like a single celled slime mold or a daughter plant, um, also have films. Um, I don't think anybody knows at this point. Um, Bees, uh, I am convinced, see films. Bees are very good at going into the world, flying over uh, fields, identifying. They go from flower to flower, always the same, not always the same flower, but on a given day, the same flower. So they can see exactly where the different flowers are, go to them, take the pollen, go home. So they're very good at uh, while seeing uh, the outside world, with a brain that contains less than a million neurons. That's a hundred thousand times smaller than our own brains. In fact, it's been demonstrated that these uh, creatures that have uh, brains the size of pinheads can actually handle abstract concepts. Uh, This was discovered by uh, scientists three or four years ago.
0: You know, folks, I get a lot of reviews on iTunes. And uh, you are also yourself welcome to leave a review of your own. And maybe if you do, I'll read it here in the podcast sometime in the future. And yes, I am going to read the reviews here in the podcast. Not all right now, but when I feel like it. And this podcast's theme is always what I feel like. Okay, so this first one is from Mailfix. And this person writes uh, garbage. This is a tasteless parody of new age. Okay. Uh, All right. Maybe we should read another one. Um, Love and light. To Alex and all the team, I should have written this years ago. And I hope you'll forgive my timekeeping. Listening to your, you and your podcast has helped me put everything in a deeper, broader and richer context. It's taught me things, reassured me, freaked me out, made me laugh, make me think, and much, much more. So thank you, and may love and light continue to shine down on you and all those precious to you. Adam K. London. Well, well, well. Thank you for those very kind words. And I'm very happy that you, uh, I'm equally happy that you learned something and that you also got freaked out. Wait a second. What's wrong? <laughs> Nothing's wrong. You found the flute, eh? Are you gonna, are you going to play the flute? Nice. Sorry about that folks. Uh, that's what happens when you try to record while babysitting. Uh, can you uh, can you can you wait with the flute playing till I'm finished come come okay good okay Uh, anyway thanks for that review I appreciate it and if you're listening now you can also give a review but you can also give your support by uh, becoming a patron and for two bucks a month you can get access to all new episodes in advance and uh you'll also get the knowing that you are really helping out. And for four bucks a month, you also get access to a lot of additional content like uh, deleted recordings or special recordings made only for those that support the podcast. If you give more than $4, then there are other rewards coming your way. Check it all out and support uh, the podcast over at patreon.com forward slash Alchemist. I thank you in advance. And if you also want to connect more with the podcast, there is also a Reddit now. I'm not sure that this Reddit is going to be a thing or not. We'll see. Depends if people interact there or not. So if you want to do that, go over to Reddit and search Natural Born Alchemist as one word and you'll find the subreddit. Are you going to say something clever for the podcast listeners so they can learn something? How about give us a quote? I know you've been reading uh, Hamlet by Shakespeare. Can you give us a quote from from Hamlet? To be, not to be, the Ah, okay. <laughs> yes, that is a very deep philosophical statement. Sorry, sorry, folks, for the disturbances. Um, all right, now we are going to continue. No, the podcast is not over yet. Uh, so um, check this out. It's quite funny
2: and I had taken mushrooms the previous Saturday. I had taken a full dose, which is five dried grams. So I thought, I want to take mushrooms again this Saturday, but I, uh, I think I may have picked up a tolerance. So I'll just take nine grams instead. And this is where the learning takes place. The mistakes, treasure your mistakes. Uh, so the thing it's like I'm sitting there and suddenly I realize, oh my God, it's coming at me, it's a hundred miles wide, it's ten miles high, and it is rolling toward me. It looks and and I barely had time to lay down. That's how fast it and a boy said, you know, get prepare, the storm is about to hit the beach. And uh, and I laid down. And it was just it was like a tornado hitting. And at one point I opened my eyes and the there was this woman in a full bondage getup with the, you know piercings and rubber panties and the whole thing. and she and I was lying there between her legs. she was standing upright and and she put her face right down next to mine, and she said, Is it strong enough for you, asshole? The most intelligent beings I've ever met are plants. The most intelligent beings I've ever met are plants. Is it strong enough for you, assholes? The most intelligent beings I've ever met are plants.
0: Way back in the day when I was hanging out. (laughs) Way back in the... (laughs) Can I finish the podcast now? (laughs) We're almost done, we're almost done. (laughs) Way back in the day when I was hanging out at music festivals and smoking weed, I discovered a little band called Tiger Tunes. They are no longer active, but music can never die. So, uh, to finish the podcast, here is the song "Angry Kids of the World Unite" from their album "Absolutely Worthless Compared to Important Books." Uh, buy it if you can get hold of it. I'll see you all in a week. Bye. Freedom is in the mind.